Hey everyone, it's Bridget. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start by thanking our new patrons, Vicki Alvarado and Kevin Corpy. Patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. Lately, we've been sharing spooky photos and deciding which one of us is going to climb under the secret room behind Ian's shed. You'll also have access to bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Also, we're opening up two new Patreon tiers with new rewards, so check that out at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. New rewards include a sticker for all new patrons and 13 logo mask and t-shirts. Again, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. Stay tuned after the show for more info on merch and new contact info for submitting stories and anything else you want to get in touch with us about. Now, on with the show. The rain has been coming down for days. Sometimes, it's just a mist filling the air. Other times, it comes down in torrents. The rain gets to people after a while. It's a heaviness that weighs on you. The forecast shows no end in sight. Storm systems hit the Appalachian Mountains and linger here. That's normal. But they never stay this long. I would know. I'm the only meteorologist in a hundred miles. There had been another one that worked at our station, but he left two months ago. So now, it's just me. Early on, I took over both the morning and evening broadcast. Going home in the middle of the day just to turn around and come back for the five. It was supposed to be temporary, but that was two months ago. I also do weather updates for several little community radio stations in the region. The people who had the job before me, they just made a blanket report and sent the same one to each town. Even though some of these stations are 80, 90 miles apart, but not me. I like to be precise. If you're going to do a job like this, a job where people depend on you, you should do that job like it matters. So, I personalize it to each station's listening area. I email out the updates each day, and I do weekend spots on Fridays. But when the rain started... It only took a few days for the ground to get completely saturated. That's when the flash floods began. I started getting National Weather Service alerts at all hours of the night. That meant coming in late and doing emergency broadcasts for the stations affected by the floods. It only took a couple of days before I told my boss that she needed to pick which broadcast I was going to cover. I can do emergency alerts at night and stay for the morning shift, or I can do the evening shift and stay for the alerts. But I can't do both. 
So we haven't had a live weather update on the morning broadcast for over two weeks. I mostly work evenings now, and I'm kind of okay with it. I've always been a night owl. I love staying up late, knowing the rest of the world around me is asleep. I used to love going out and looking up at the stars, imagining the vast distance between them and me, really leaning into that feeling of insignificance, of smallness, that no matter what, the universe will forget about us all one day, and none of this will have mattered. But now, it feels like ages since I've seen the stars. I woke up a little after one in the morning to my phone blaring an emergency alert. This happens every night now. To get to my station, you have to drive up a long winding road that snakes up the side of one of the mountains. The trees and undergrowth are dense, thick and dark. When you drive it at night, your headlights only serve to amplify the darkness just outside their range. It's an ancient kind of darkness. The kind of darkness you can only imagine before electric light and the glow of cities on distant horizons. It's a kind of darkness that's heavy and complete. As you crest the top of the hill, there's one more wide turn and the forest opens up around you. Dead ahead is the little one-story station building. This is an old strip mine site. It was abandoned years ago and then bought by the network. They wanted to put the station and the tower up here on top of the mountain to maximize the broadcast range. Past the building and the tower is a sweeping view of the mountains. We're taller than anything else in sight, and the terrain stretches for miles. Hills and forest as far as the eye can see. Lately, the flash floods and the saturated ground have been leading to landslides. Tons of heavy mud and rock cascading down the hillsides and destroying anything in their way. Each new alert that comes in demands a new warning. And it's my job to let the people know they're in danger. So that's why I'm here, at two in the morning, making that last turn around the side of the mountain and coming up on the station. The lot is empty. I park as close as I can to the door and make a dash up the walkway to the safety of the building overhang. I have an all-access keycard that disables the locks, and then... I'm inside. The building is dark and silent, but it comes to life with a flip of a switch 
in the hum from the lots. The entrance, where a receptionist used to sit, back when we had a receptionist. But cutbacks have replaced her with a sign that reads, Someone will be with you shortly. I go around the desk and through an open set of double doors into the newsroom. Big and mostly empty. There was a time when this place was bustling with activity. It was packed with reporters and producers and copywriters. It was loud with the sounds of phones and keyboards and conversation. But that's not how media works anymore. I walk through the big empty room to a hallway lined with closed doors. Offices, two different entrances to the soundstage, and a waiting room for the guests. And past all of that, the sound booths, no larger than a closet, stocked with audio equipment. This is where I do my work at night. I send out the flash flood warning update, and while I'm here, I go ahead and update the morning reports for the other stations, too. An hour and a half later, I'm finished up and sending the audio files out by email. I power down the audio equipment and turn off the lights, and I make my way back out to the newsroom. Then, I see it. The wall full of faces. Missing persons alerts. There were nine of them. Seven women and two men. All of them having gone missing in the last three years. The police didn't put it together until the fourth one. After all, they were all from different counties. Different jurisdictions. The women were all a certain type. White women, 20s and 30s, dark hair, and a little shorter than average. They looked like me. The police are operating under the assumption that they're all connected, even the men. But they haven't figured out how yet. I try not to look at them as I pass by, but I do. I can't help myself. I make my way back through the reception and to the front door. Hopefully, I'll get to sleep for a few hours without another landslide or flash flood. I cut off the lights and make my way back out into the night. Normally, I don't mind the late nights. Things come up. Emergencies happen. Stopping whatever I'm doing and running to the station at the drop of the hat? It's just part of the job. I actually like the chaos to a certain degree. I like feeling needed. Being the person you can count on in a crisis. I slept through most of the afternoon and woke up just in time to put myself together and get on air for the broadcast. 
these close calls were becoming more frequent. I don't really have a lot going on. I'm not good at making friends. And I'm not good at meeting people. I don't mind being a little bit of a loner. But you know how it goes. Even if you don't really want to do something, as soon as you're not able to do it, you feel like you miss it. And I'm starting to feel resentful that if I wanted to meet someone right now, I couldn't. But this isn't permanent. The rain can't last forever. It just can't. And sooner or later, I'll get my life back. Even the part of me that loves the action, that needs to feel needed. She's getting tired. We finished the evening broadcast. As we wrapped up in the sound studio and exited back into the newsroom, there was an energy to the place that I don't see here very often. Something was happening. A heaviness settled into my chest. All the monitors that are mounted around the newsroom, they all showed the same image. A woman in her late 20s or early 30s. The photo was undoubtedly pulled from social media. She looked like she was out somewhere with friends, and everything but her face was cropped out. She was smiling. Dark hair, big dark eyes. Another one was missing. The closed captioning said she was from two counties over. Her name was Evie Sloan. Authorities weren't saying whether or not her disappearance was connected to the others. But she lived alone. She went missing from home. She was last seen leaving work. And it was right on schedule. Every four months, give or take a couple of weeks, a new one went missing. And she looked almost identical to me. Closer than any of the others. I noticed that several people in the newsroom were looking at me. No doubt because I looked so much like the missing woman. I don't like being the center of attention. All those eyes on me. So I went back down the winding hallway and found an open audio booth. Before I got to work scripting my forecast updates, I did a quick search for Evie Sloan on social media and Google. All of her accounts were restricted. Smart girl. I make myself stop and get to work. I can be a little obsessive. I close the tabs where I'd been researching Evie and I get to work. I finished my radio spots just before midnight. The hectic energy of the newsroom was replaced by emptiness. All the lights were off in the building. It's not the first time this has happened. They forget that I'm still here, locked away in an audio booth, and they shut the whole place down. I had to walk to the reception area with just the flashlight of my phone. 
I passed by the big board of missing persons. They hadn't added the new one yet, probably because the police hadn't confirmed that she was connected to the others. I had a feeling she would be soon enough. I took a moment to scan the parking lot from behind the glass door. My car was close, about 30 steps away. I couldn't shake the image I'd seen on all those computer monitors. The photo of the new girl. Someone was hunting girls that looked like me. That's an unnerving thing to get your head around. The wide open space in the parking lot, up here on top of this mountain, all alone. A perfect target. The missing persons were always spaced out by months. There had never been more than one on the same day. I took some comfort in that, but not much. And then, I saw lights approaching. I waited inside the door. Headlights through the mist and rain. The vehicle made the final turn into the parking lot. It was Jimmy. Jimmy the security guard. Jimmy makes his rounds to several businesses each night, just making sure everything's in order. He came to a stop at the back of the parking lot. Jimmy was a nice guy. A little mysterious. Before I became a meteorologist, I studied linguistics with an emphasis on the wider range of Appalachian accents. Then I decided to do this instead. I had to learn to moderate my accent. I even practiced a completely neutral American Standard accent. So, I'm a bit of an expert when it comes to accents. That's why Jimmy is such a mystery. I can't place his accent. I don't know where he's from. And that intrigues and frustrates me. Otherwise, Jimmy is completely uninteresting. He's friendly, professional. He takes his job seriously, which I like. Especially now. We say hi, and we make small talk when I come in for emergencies. It's actually a little early for him. Maybe the boss has asked him to come by a couple times tonight, given that I'm up here by myself. I stepped outside, and I tried the door to make sure it locked automatically. On the way to my car, he waved. And I waved back. And a few moments later... I was on my way down the side of the mountain, headed home, hopefully, to get caught up on some sleep. I woke up late in the morning. My phone didn't go off with alerts last night, and I got a full night's sleep. That familiar dusty gray light around the edges of my blackout curtains... An overcast sky outside. 
As I scroll through my phone, all I see are different articles about the missing girl. The newspapers and stations in bigger cities picked up the story. Lexington, Louisville, Knoxville. There's a serial killer in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. I had breakfast, or lunch. I can't keep track anymore. I had a few hours before work, and I downloaded this dating app, but I couldn't use my real photo. I'm the only meteorologist in the region. Everyone would recognize me. And I don't know, I'm not my real self when I'm on TV. Putting my real self out there, my interests, my fascinations, my quirks, all next to my photo, that just feels so exposed. And I could lie, but then what's the point? That night at the station went smooth and easy. The same drizzle rain I'd seen all afternoon was hanging over the whole region. The kind that obscures your vision at a certain distance. It wasn't the kind of rain that causes flooding and landslides. It felt like a weight off my shoulders. The forecast called for the rain to pick back up for the foreseeable future. But having this one day... It felt like my head was above water again. It felt like taking a deep breath. I barely took any time to do the radio spots. It was the same everywhere for once. The only difference was the town name and the station call letters. For the first time in forever, I wasn't the last person out of the station. On the way out, I noticed that they'd put the new girl's photo up on the bulletin board. The police hadn't announced that they were connected, but everyone knew. I stepped out into the parking lot. The security light over the entrance was caught up in fog, and the security truck was idling in the parking lot. Jimmy again. We exchanged a wave as I walked to my car. About halfway down the mountainside, the fog started to let up, but the mist remained. Fog often falls on the hills at night, creeping down from the sky, slow and silent. In a couple more hours, it'll reach the town where it'll settle for the night, filling the spaces between buildings giving these ancient forests a haunted feeling. I got takeout from a little diner in town. I can't sit down alone in a restaurant to eat. Everyone recognizes me, and they want to come up and talk. Some people think they know me because I look familiar, but they can't place me when I'm out of context in real life instead of on the TV screen. So I ate in the car, watching the patrons through big windows. For someone who doesn't really like people, 
I definitely like people watching. By the time I pulled up in front of my house, I felt a staggering heaviness from the accumulated lack of sleep, and I was going straight to bed. I woke up to the sound of alerts. Flood warnings. I could hear it coming down outside. It wasn't supposed to be raining like this tonight. There were no storm systems nearby. Where the hell did this even come from? I drug myself out of bed and looked at the time. 1.05 a.m. I need a new job. Or a new city. Somewhere with more than one meteorologist. I started the familiar drive to the station. The downpour was tapering off on the long drive to the station. Big, heavy drops fell from the dense tree cover. I took it slow. The weather alert that woke me up was for a series of landslides one county over. Probably caused by the same downpour that just rolled through here. The last thing I wanted was to come around one of the curves too quickly. To see a little too late that the road had given way and collapsed down the hillside. Going a little too fast. The road being a little too wet. And not having enough time to stop before going over the edge and tumbling out into darkness. I finally made it up the hill to the station. The stillness of the mountain giving me pause. I was suddenly aware of how alone I was. There was someone taking people in the area. And I'm miles from anyone. There's only one way up and one way down. I can take care of myself. I've overpowered men bigger than me before. But not if they sneak up on me. I tried not to think about it as I got out and swapped my key card. I flipped on the lights in reception and passed through the newsroom. It was empty. The light faded, and by the time I was passing the soundstage, the only light around was from the exit sign at the end of the hall. I found my favorite audio booth, unpacked my laptop, and got to work. There were new alerts since I'd left home. Flood warnings in a dozen counties, including mine. More landslides reported all over the broadcast area. The ground was finally giving way everywhere. It couldn't hold itself up any longer. They say these mountains, the Appalachians, are the oldest mountains in the world. Worn down over eons. Landslide by landslide just like this. 
My tired mind tries to imagine the taller, younger mountains, standing high and proud, their peaks stretching up to the sky. We all wear down, and we all get old. Maybe it's a mercy that some people don't have to get old and watch themselves fade into something they don't recognize. Maybe not. It's too late to be thinking like this. I started building my scripts for the first update. I listened through and then re-recorded most of them. God, I sound tired. I emailed the audio files to my contact at each station, and I packed up my things and shut down the booth. I took that windy hallway back to the newsroom, full of empty cubicles, monitors hanging from the ceiling, all of them dark for the night. Out in the parking lot, I saw the security truck. Jimmy was back, and that made me feel better. Jimmy wasn't the smartest guy, and probably not the toughest guy, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't let anything happen to me. I turned off the reception lights and checked to be sure the door was locked behind me. The eerie darkness inside of the station compelled me to walk fast, away from the big glass doors, like someone was watching me. I start making my way out of the parking lot and down the mountain, my headlights piercing a hole in the blackness, hugging the side of the mountain. I have a fear that I haven't told you about. I'm afraid that I'll be on this road some night, and I'll look into my rearview mirror, and I'll see someone in my back seat. It's different each time. Maybe a man lying in wait for me. Maybe a ghostly woman smiling a smile that's too big and too wide. Maybe I'll take one of these turns and a translucent figure appears by the side of the road. I try to force myself to think of something else. And most nights, it works. But tonight, I let myself entertain the thought for too long, and now it's stuck there. Maybe it's for the best that I kept my eyes straight ahead, instead of glancing towards my back seat or the edge of the road. Because only a couple minutes after I left the station, in the middle of the bend, there was a massive section of the road missing. I barely stopped in time. A few feet from the edge. A landslide. The edge of the mountain had given way somewhere downhill. And everything above it slid away. Taking this portion of the road with it. I got out and I walked up to the edge. 
there was a gap in the tree canopy. The hillside collapsing had taken the trees too. Fresh exposed earth in a steep decline until light wouldn't reach any further. I called 911 and the dispatcher said she didn't know how long it would be till a crew could get out here. How the fuck am I going to get home now? I backed my car up until there was a wide enough patch in the road to turn. I went back up the hill, around that wide, slow bend, the tower, the station, my home away from home. I pulled up next to the security truck to let Jimmy know what was going on, but the truck was empty. For the second time that night, I swiped my card. It's quiet in the station. Eerie. I went to the newsroom and chose a desk with a big comfy chair, and I sat down kicking my feet up like I own the place. How is there going to be a newscast tomorrow morning? There's no safe way to cross the washed-out road. I called my boss. It went to voicemail, and I left her a message telling her it was urgent. What am I going to do? My eyes drifted over to the billboard. The faces of the missing. The new girl. Those two men, seemingly out of place but somehow connected. I couldn't sleep out here. There's a couch in the waiting room. That's probably my best bet. I made myself stand up again and I gathered my things. My phone's battery was low but I kept a charger with me. The waiting area was just down the hallway past the sound booths and around the corner. I set myself up on the couch, plugged in my phone, and I went across the hall to the restroom before committing to lying down for the night. I mean, at least if more alerts came in, I wouldn't have far to travel. At the end of the hallway was an emergency exit. I stopped when I saw my reflection in the glass door. I could see it so clearly. I thought of that poster of the missing girl, the new one. She looked so much like me, almost spot on. I watched myself in the door a little longer, thinking about her thinking about how fragile all of this is how it can end out of nowhere I'd stood there for some time in a daze watching myself and then my mind came back to the present I was so tired that I wasn't thinking straight maybe that's why it took so long for me to notice my reflection. The clothes were wrong. That's not what I was wearing. 
that wasn't me in the glass. As if on cue, her lips curled up into a smirk, and she turned and walked out of my line of sight. It was her, Evie Sloan. What happened next wasn't a thought. It wasn't something I'd planned. It was just an impulse. I was in motion before I knew what was happening. I had to go after her. I rushed out the door and turned the way she'd gone. The concrete ended and gave way to mud and grass. And I didn't see her. I wasn't very familiar with this side of the station. I was running blind. I stopped before I ran off the edge of the mountain. I looked around. Rainwater dripped from trees. Wind rustled leaves and underbrush. And then I heard it. Footsteps. I looked around, but I couldn't tell where they came from. And then I saw a flashlight. It was Jimmy. Hey, are you okay? He gave me a concerned look. I guess I probably deserved it. I thought you'd left. Yeah, sorry. I had to turn back. The road's out. I told him about the landslide, that it was impassable. We were stuck until someone shows up. What are you doing back here? I make a lap around the building before leaving, checking windows and doors. Right. Sorry. I'm just a little... uh... I was inside, and I was looking at my reflection. Are you sure you're okay? I told him I was. He looked skeptical. I asked him if he wanted to wait inside with me. There's no telling how long it was going to take for Cruz to get out here. I don't know. Are there cameras in there? I'm not supposed to go inside. I don't want to get in trouble. Jesus, Jimmy. I'm sure they'll make an exception. He looked uneasy. I don't know. Either way, I can't stay up here all night. He looked around, like he was trying to solve a puzzle. There's a path back here. It leads down the other side of the hill. It's a little steep, but you can get down it. Maybe we can get down that way. Call for a ride at the bottom? I didn't have a good feeling. A climb down the side of the mountain, in the dark... It sounded like a great way to fall and get myself killed. I told him I didn't think it was a good idea. Why don't you come look at it? If you don't like it, we won't go. I thought about it. Why not at least give it a look? I told him that I needed to grab my things from inside. He followed me around the front of the building, and I swiped my card to get back in. You coming? Mm, sorry. Can't break code. Suit yourself. 
I'll be right back. I walked fast through the building, back to the waiting room where the phone was charging. I picked it up and there were notifications. Missed calls. My boss had called me. I dialed her. Hey, I just left you a bunch of messages. What's going on? I told her about the road being washed out, that I was trapped up here with a security guard. I was walking back through the newsroom. I could see reception up ahead in the glass doors. Who? Jimmy, the security guard. He was here on rounds when it happened. I could see Jimmy waiting for me on the other side of the glass doors. Oh my god, Audra. Stay where you are. We're going to check out the path around back, maybe find a way down. Audra, we don't have a security guard. Where are you? Is he there with you? Are you in a safe place? Jimmy was watching me through the glass. That's why he'd asked about the cameras inside the station. What was he doing up here? What was he doing behind the building? He saw me with my phone to my ear. He saw me stop dead in my tracks. He cocked his head to the side, like he was confused. And then he straightened back up. A look of recognition came over his face. Oh my God. Oh my God. Jimmy's lips curled up into a hateful smirk. I backed up and started running. He marched toward the glass door. I couldn't get away. Even if I got to my car, I couldn't get down the mountain. I needed to hide. I heard movement outside the windows. I ran down the hallway toward my audio booth winding around several turns. I took the last corner and there it was, dead ahead. The glass door of the emergency exit. And there she was again. Evie was waiting for me outside. She was different this time. Her hair matted to one side of her head. Her legs bent at an impossible angle. She shouldn't be able to stand like that. She shouldn't be able to support her own weight on broken legs. It was all I could do to stay on my feet despite the shock. I ducked inside one of the audio booths and I locked the door. I was dialing 911 when I heard glass breaking somewhere in the building. I didn't dare speak into the phone, but I didn't hang up either. Maybe they could track the call. I sat as silent and as still as I could. I didn't hear anything for a long time. Maybe he broke the window, but didn't actually come in. And then I heard it.
He was moving around the building. I stayed exactly where I was. Even if 911 couldn't track the call, my boss would be doing everything she could to get someone up here. But who knows if they'd make it in time. I didn't need to be stronger than Jimmy. I didn't need to be faster than Jimmy. I just needed to be really, really quiet. I just needed to wait him out. I heard those footsteps creep closer. He was just down the hall now. I could hear him breathing. I heard him lean his back against the wall and slide down until he sat on the floor. He was quiet for a long time. Did he know I was right here? Or did he just happen to choose this spot? I don't know how much time had passed. But I heard him start moving again. He got up and walked down the hall toward the newsroom. After some time, I heard commotion down the hall. Voices calling my name. I came out of my hiding spot and met them in the newsroom. All the lights in the building were on. Somehow, the police and my supervisors got around the patch of road. While they asked me questions, my eyes drifted towards the bulletin board. The one with all the photos. The faces of the missing something was wrong it took me a minute to place it all the eyes were colored in black I told them about the path Jimmy tried to take me down the one behind the station I'd never actually gone back there I didn't know if there was really a path at all. But when we went to investigate, there it was. Down the path a little ways, there was a big exposed culvert. A water drainage system from the old strip mine that used to operate here. It was about six feet in diameter and big enough to walk through without hunching over. The smell coming from inside was familiar and awful. Like roadkill. Like decay. Inside, they found several sets of remains. They were in varying stages of decomposition. Some years old. One? One was brand new. It was Evie. Evie Sloan. The one that looked like me. The one who just an hour ago stood outside the emergency exit door. But it couldn't have been her. Not really. 
It had to be, I don't know, a ghost? Had Evie used the very last of whatever spectral energy she had to warn me? To let me know who Jimmy was? What Jimmy was? The station had never hired a security company. The truck Jimmy left in the parking lot had one of those magnetic signs. You could just peel it right off. So if he wasn't security, all those nights I saw him up here, in the early morning hours, all alone, he was visiting his victims or depositing new ones. To think, each time I'd seen him sitting out in that truck, he was trying to tell me who he was. The girls that he chose, he was communicating to me. I told them everything. Well, almost everything. Remember when I told you that I'm an expert in accents and I couldn't place Jimmy? That maybe he was trying to hide or change it? When we talked behind the station, he let his guard down and I heard his real voice. And I know where he's from. The police are convinced now that he's responsible for all ten of the missing persons around the region. He'd followed them for days, maybe weeks. After he abducted and killed them, he left them in this culvert. But they're wrong. Like I said, I told them almost everything. I know a little something about following people, and I know a little something about tracking them down. Jimmy didn't kill ten people. He's only responsible for the eight women. They haven't found the men yet. I would know. I've overpowered men bigger than me. I'm not my real self when I'm on TV. For someone who doesn't really like people, I really like people watching. I like to feel needed. I like to be in control. He found me. How did he know how to find me? I guess... It takes one to know one. Maybe he let down his guard on purpose. He's done his research. He knows everything there is to know about me. And I'm gonna learn everything there is to know about him. A few feet away, the coroner and deputy coroner were pulling Evie from the pipe. I don't know how to thank her enough. She tried to warn me. And maybe she was right. He was just a little too amped up. But she also showed me that 
Maybe I don't have to be an awkward, lonely mess. Maybe I have a soulmate after all. Something remarkable happened. Something I'd been missing. Just overhead, there was a break in the clouds. The rain had stopped. And for the first time in weeks, I saw stars. And this time, I didn't feel so small. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been A Hard Rain, written by Ian Epperson and narrated by me, Bridget Howard. Jimmy was played by Josiah Othniel Knight. Station management was played by Brooke Jeanette. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker. Music by Caleb Ritchie, with assistance from Isaac Ratliff. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators, merch, bloopers, and behind-the-scenes content and weekly updates on the show. Patrons to any of our shows get rewards for all of them, including Olive Hill. We make the credits for each episode a few days in advance of the release, so if you sign up close to the release date, you might hear your name on the following episode. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story or contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find it in the show notes, too. Bridget Howard is... Hmm. Maybe I am. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.